Good morning, Vintage Faith. I love the Bible, and I'm deeply grateful to our pastors, Matt and Grace, for trusting me to open it with you today, as well as the next two Sundays, to explore what it has to say about the simple gospel. It seems that everything in life has become way too complicated, doesn't it? Whether it's choosing a paint color from that frightening display of swatches at Home Depot, attempting even a minor repair on my car like I did last night, or just figuring out how to install a new ringtone on my phone, I find myself feeling overwhelmed. Trying to watch my favorite episode of I Love Lucy for crying out loud requires using several different remotes to control multiple devices. And if anything fails in that elaborate chain, I'm completely lost. Information and technology are increasing at such unprecedented rates, it's hard to keep my head above water. For instance, I just finished reading a new book on genetic engineering. And oh my goodness, the incredibly complex biotech tsunami that's about to break over all of us along with its challenging ethical dilemmas is far above my pay grade. So these days, I'm immediately attracted to anything with the word simple in it. And I was thrilled to have the opportunity to try and scrape away some of the layers of complexity that have been piled onto our understanding of the gospel and rediscover with you the simplicity at its heart. Let's get started. I'd like to anchor this series of three messages in verses 18 and 19 of the third chapter in the Bible's book of Acts. And although we'll display the words on the screen, I think this passage is important enough that I wanna strongly encourage you to locate and bookmark or underline it in your own Bible or phone app. Although it's used to define a genre of music and the first four books of the Bible's New Testament, among other things, the Greek word translated into our English Bibles as gospel literally means good news. It's the mind-blowing message of redemption Jesus declared, fulfilled, and commissioned his followers to preach to the whole world. But let's see how those two verses from Acts chapter 3 describe it. I'll be quoting from the New King James Version. Verse 18 says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Look, the first and most important thing we need to understand about the gospel is that it's all, all, all about Jesus. From the moment sin broke mankind's relationship with God and began to warp human history, the divine plan of rescue through the Messiah was set in motion and foretold in precise detail through the Old Testament prophets. And this verse tells us Jesus fully completed that mission through his life, death, and resurrection. His cry from the cross, it is finished, 
was not just empty words. He was declaring the fundamental definition of the gospel. It is finished. He has provided everything required to bridge the gap between us and the Heavenly Father so that by faith in what he's done, we can be forgiven our sins and experience spiritual rebirth into the family of God. And that's truly good news. Then verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The second thing we need to know about the gospel is that its benefits require three responses from us. When we repent, convert, and welcome the full measure of forgiveness in Christ, it unleashes a cascade of God's redeeming grace flowing to us from his very presence. And that's also good news. So I'd like to spend the rest of my time with you today and the next two Sundays unpacking those three responses the simple gospel invites us into. I'm going to describe them as rethink, return, and receive. And I'm going to illustrate them using Jesus' parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15 that Mary Williams reminded us of in her message a month ago. Let's begin with the first of them. The word repent we encounter in Acts 3.19 isn't being spoken by an angry God wagging his bony finger in our faces and demanding that we shoulder the weight of our guilt bent over in shame. And it's not about trying to atone for our sin with acts of self-punishment. Years ago, my wife and I visited a mountain outside Bogota, Colombia called Monserrate. There's a Roman Catholic shrine at its top. And one of the things religious pilgrims come there to do is climb the one and a half mile long trail with a 2,000 foot elevation gain on their knees as an act of penance for sin. This is not what the word repent is about. The word literally means to reconsider. It's an invitation to rethink the course we've chosen for our lives, to stop our headlong pursuit of fruitless selfishness and imagine the different outcome that could be ours if we allow the grace of God to cleanse our past and redirect our future. It's like the moment after rebelling against his father, leaving home, wasting his inheritance on riotous living, finding himself destitute, and developing an appetite for pig slop when we're told the prodigal son finally came to himself. The New Testament specifically reveals this to be at the core of the good news. A call to repentance was always embedded in the preaching of the gospel. John the Baptist preached it, so did Jesus, the disciples, 
Peter in his first sermon, Paul to the Gentiles, and the Lord to the churches in the book of Revelation. The gospel cannot be good news unless it offers us the opportunity to rethink where we're headed. But it does, hallelujah. And thank God, it's not just a one and done invitation. Yeah, it's the starting point of a new beginning in Christ, but it's also the way we course correct all along that journey. I can't count the times I've been lovingly invited by the Holy Spirit to rethink my choices. And my heart swells with gratitude even now for the good news that Jesus has made that possible. I've been spared countless dead ends and pitfalls because of that amazing expression of his grace. Like the time Sue and I found ourselves deep in debt because of irresponsible financial stewardship, along with disobedience regarding the biblical principle of tithing or returning to God 10% of our income. We were in a hole way too deep to dig ourselves out of. But as soon as we stopped to rethink how we'd been managing this arena of our life together, we discovered the Lord was faithful to begin the process of miraculously providing for us and leading us out of that pit into financial freedom and blessing as we walked in obedience to his word. Now, even though responding to the gospel is not about a sense of guilt that produces self-flagellation. You can't rethink your life's choices in light of a holy God without a measure of sadness over how things could have been different. It will involve a godly sorrow. But that's not the same thing as guilt. Allowing shame to take root in your heart will ultimately poison your relationship with but a righteous regret will draw you closer to him. After 10 years of marriage, Sue stepped into my office one Sunday afternoon on the campus of the church we pastored at the time to tell me she was leaving me. And in a moment of severe mercy that left me reeling and unable to breathe, Jesus graciously, though painfully, allowed me to see the damage I had caused to my wife's soul through a decade of emotional abuse. And although it left me completely heartbroken, the sorrow and regret I experienced was an essential part of the process of repentance that made possible the rebuilding of our marriage and the 37 years of bliss we've enjoyed since. The first part of 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. God's redeeming grace meets us in those painful moments of realization, dries our tears, secures us in his loving embrace, and leads us forward in confident faith toward a better future than the one we deserve. The last thing I want to point out about the implications of repentance is that it causes rejoicing in heaven. Luke 15:10 says, "I say to you, there is joy in the presence
presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just think about that for a minute. Whenever any of us embrace the gospel's invitation to rethink, those that populate the eternal realm of glory are aware of it and erupt with joy. How can that be? How can the redirection of one person's future matter that much? Listen, dear one. God considers you so valuable. He couldn't bear to leave you lost in your sin. He was compelled to mount a campaign of rescue so costly that it required the death of his own son just to create the possibility for you to rethink the choices that were leading you away from him. You mean more to him than you'll ever know this side of eternity. And his plans for the singular role he has prepared for you in his kingdom exceed all the limits of human comprehension. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So yeah, it's a very big deal, and much is at stake in that moment of decision when we stop to rethink the direction of our lives. The message of the magnificent mercy that makes it possible to do so is very good news indeed. And I have to wonder if you may sense the need to take advantage of this precious moment to rethink something. Maybe it's a choice you made that sent your life on a long detour away from what you know to be the will of God. Dear one, let me assure you, it's not too late to stop and reconsider that path. Or it may be that you feel something deep within inviting you to rethink your journey of unbelief. If so, I implore you not to go one step further, but before placing your faith in the one who is ready to redirect your heart into his loving embrace. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I, I simply don't know how to even begin to express my gratitude for your gospel. So rich, so full, and yet so simple. But please receive my heart's full-throated song of praise, sung beyond the limits of human vocabulary. I think I speak for many of us when I say, I love you. I pray for those who've joined me this morning and find themselves being drawn to a step of repentance they know they need to take to initiate the flow of refreshing from your presence promised in Acts 3.19. Holy Spirit, meet them right now to supply all the grace required. In Christ's name, amen.